really nice to um, be here. I only found out on Wednesday that I was going to be, so if I read a little more than usual, forgive me. If I get tongue-tied, forgive me. Um, but I'm excited to be here. So let's just start with prayer. Um, hey, God, thank you so much just that the doors are open, that we are in your house of prayer, your house of worship, um, that we are here celebrating you, getting to know you more. Um, as we grow with you, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here today, that you will speak through me, that these will be your words and not mine, um, that they will come out clearly, and Lord, that we will just all grow and benefit from the message that you have for us today. God, we love you so much, and um, we just trust that you have us on a journey this morning, um, and we're excited for that. Amen. All right, so um, if I haven't somehow had the plev pleasure of meeting you, um, my name is Lauren Fraser. Um, I'm a teacher here at the school. If you have kids in primary, I probably teach them sport. Um, I'm married to Tristan, who is not here. He's too tired from concreting this week. He's a builder. Um, but he, we also have two beautiful kids, Elijah and Scarlett. And I don't normally put up photos of my family. But um, I am super proud of my little boy. He started prep this week. Um, he, oh no, last week, last week. Um, and he is just loving it. And suddenly we blinked and we're dealing with school. <laughs> But yeah, so that's, that's the season that we have just entered into, and, and yeah, like I said, super proud. Um, we love our kids um, very much, but unfortunately, we have had the, um, the feeling of knowing just momentarily what it is like to lose one of them, um, and that is Scarlett. That's why she gets a feature here, um, our little princess. We have lost her <laughs> a few times, and it doesn't matter. Chip her, can we like get GPS bracelets for her? Um, seriously, we looked into it, our phones keep sending us stuff. But um, yeah, it actually happened here about a year ago. Um, I was inside doing something, my husband was outside talking with one of the other dads after Sabbath school, and the kids were just playing, and then Elijah comes back to dad and he's like, Scarlet's gone, and he's like, excuse me? <laughs> Scarlet's gone. Okay, so he politely says goodbye to the parent he was talking to and goes to find Scarlet. And about 10, 15 minutes later, he comes and finds me and he's like, Scarlet's gone. And I'm like, what? Drop everything and we go and look for her. And my mind just immediately goes to worst case scenario. I'm like, there are so many stairs, there are car parks and exits, there's a dam at the back of this school. Like, I'm just thinking worst case scenario on every level. And we found her, obviously. Um, but I'm gonna assume that if you're a parent, you've probably experienced this too. I can't be the only one who's lost my child. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's for two seconds in the car park or longer by any stretch of the imagination. It is the most gut-wrenching feeling. It is absolute, and suddenly, yeah, every worst thing, that every, Terrible, I mean, you could picture dragons coming and taking your child. Like, you were just so nervous. Um, and then when they're found, just that flood of relief over you, um, every muscle instantly just relaxes. And initially, you're, you're frustrated because how could they put you through that? But that is just so quickly overtaken by that sheer relief that love, that gratitude, and that grace as you scoop them up and hug them like never before because they are back, they are found, they are healthy and safe and with you. And so when um, 
I agreed to speaking a few days ago, my mind just initially went back to the parable of the prodigal son. Um, But no longer do I view this story kind of through that eldest child eyes. Um, I am an eldest child, so I kind of related there in the past. Um, I can now completely appreciate what the father was going through. Um, And as I agreed to share, um, I just... I went back and I reread the story, but it wasn't the father necessarily um, or the younger brother that really captured my attention. It, it was the older brother, um, but in a different light. So that's what I'm going to share. Um, and we're going to, you've probably all heard the parable, but you really have to read it to um, fully appreciate the context of what I'm going to be bringing out today. So we are going to go through and read for a bit first. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided up his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth on living wildly, or wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile... The older brother was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he, sorry, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I, am, I have is yours. But we had to celebrate And be glad because your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So let's do a quick recap of the brother because he is important, though we're not going to focus on him. First thing, he had a broken relationship with his father. 
to go to his father and say, I want my share of the inheritance now, in the cultural context of the time is like saying, I wish you were dead. It's not really a healthy relationship we're seeing here. Um, yeah, so this, this relationship between the father and the younger son, it wasn't great, it was broken. He went, he was sinning out in the world, okay? He went out and he embraced everything that the world had to offer. He didn't take his inheritance and wanna go and build something healthy for himself. He just took it and squandered it. It was like a Vegas trip on steroids, okay? He was sinning out in the world. He was lost socially. It tells us that he was really popular when the money was there, but as soon as it ran out, so did his friends. He was literally feeding pigs, wanting their food before he came to his senses to go home. Now, I don't know about you, but I personally would barely have to know someone before I invited them back to my home and gave them a meal and you know, looked at ways of trying to help them find that next step or get back on their feet if I found out that they were homeless and eating garbage. It's just what, it's what you think that you would do. Not one of his friends went to help him, not one. He was lost, socially, emotionally, spiritually lost. And so now let's have a look at the continue to serve his father. He comes home and sees the party and he learns of his brother's safe return, but he refuses to go inside. He is so adamant about not going inside to join the celebration that his father has to come out. He has to leave his home. He has to leave his guests, the celebration, this son that's just come home to go and plead with him. And right here, we already learn a few things. From the reaction that we see from the older brother, we can assume that when the younger brother left, he was filled not with concern, but bitterness. Bitter that his brother, um, that his father had given his brother his inheritance early. Bitter that while his brother was out living it up, he was there working on the farm, probably harder than usual trying to pick up the slack. Bitter that even after all his brother had put his father through, his father still missed him and prayed for him and kept a watchful eye out for him. And this bitterness turns to frustration and anger when the brother comes home and sees that there's an enormous party being thrown for him. So much so that the older brother can't even bring himself to go inside and say hi and see this little brother for himself. Bitter. The father, however, like any good parent, he became concerned when the younger brother left to produce the reaction that we see that the father, he, he runs to his son. He doesn't walk or just get excited at the window. Like he takes off running and it says for a long distance, he was watching for him. He embraced him, kissing him. And when he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son, he said, no, 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 get the best robe, get the shoes, get the ring. He's still calling him a son, even after he has thrown his inheritance away and said, essentially, I wished you were dead. The father still loves him so much. He embraces him in this way, a way that only a loving father praying and waiting and hoping that his child would come home. And now he's ecstatic that he has. 
Ultimately, what we are learning here is that this older son, he also has a broken relationship with the father. He is so angry and filled with bitterness towards his younger brother that he cannot even find it in him to be happy for his father. He can't even see the joy. We have all heard the saying, if you're happy, I'm happy. He missed that. He's not happy for his father. He can't find it in him to do that. This is not a healthy relationship. From the wording um, in this text, we can also pick up that the older brother, he did not necessarily even view himself as a son anymore. He said, all these years I have been serving you. He viewed himself as a servant, but it continues. I never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you never gave me a goat that I might make merry with my friends. He's having a bit of a pity party right now. He's like, where's my reward? You've killed the fattened calf for this brother who squandered everything. You never even gave me something small that I could make merry with my friends. Note though that he doesn't want to celebrate the achievements that they have with his father. He wants it with his friends. He says, I never sinned against you. I've been here and loyal the whole time. Essentially what he's stating here is that I don't want a relationship with you. I just want the reward. And somehow in that moment of insane jealousy, he's forgotten that everything left is his inheritance because he wants that gratification now. He wants his reward now, just like his brother did. He was sinning in the home under his father's roof. He may not have gone out and thrown his inheritance away on parties and prostitutes, but the only reason he stayed was for what he believed he would get, what he thought he had earned, what he thought he deserved. Ephesians 2, 8, though, reminds us, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. Even if we are perfect in our obedience and our works, it is still not enough to earn eternity. That is something we can only receive through a relationship with the Father. The older brother is just as lost as the son. Yes, he is home with his father, working hard, clothed, with food to eat, but his heart is so far from that of the father's, just like his little brother's was. Now, there's one more thing that I've noticed in this story, and that is that when the servant tells the older brother his father has killed the fattened calf, it kind of paints a really big picture if you have some cultural context. For the father to have killed the fattened calf, it was like, it was a big deal, like wedding ceremony size, epic party, big deal. The whole village, in fact, was likely to have been invited. After many, many people would have spent ages, a long time preparing. It was a big deal. So then, if this celebration was so large, having the entire town invited and talking about it and preparing, how did the older brother show up late and unaware of what was going on? How is this even possible? He's 2IC, he's working on the property at the time, yet no one told him. But they had time to tell everyone else in the village. What this tells me is that the older brother, 
He was isolated socially. Not in the way that we've been isolating. He chose his. He must have been out, working alone, head down, not even looking up in the direction of the house or other workers to have missed what was going on. He never stopped to speak to anyone. He did not care for the people around him. And for someone in a leadership position, he had terrible communication skills. To the point of him being so unapproachable that not one single person on the property or in the entire village thought to go and find the older brother and tell him, hey, your little brother's home safe and we're throwing the biggest party the village has seen in years. Not one person. So let's have a quick recap of both brothers now. Both had a broken relationship with the father. Both were sinners. Both were isolated socially. Both were lost. Now, if we go back to the beginning of this chapter in Luke, we see the context of this parable that Jesus is telling. And he's actually speaking to the Pharisees here. Jesus is using this illustration to, to demonstrate a point. Okay? The father is representing our heavenly father, God. The younger brother is the lost children of God, those who are still out in the world searching for something and who haven't yet come to know God, accept him, or come home. And the older brother is a representation of the Pharisees, children of God, devout Christians who stay in the church, serving in the mission fields, sacrificing time, money, effort, talent to serve God and his kingdom. Religious zealots who are more concerned with the rules than the people they are there to serve. The older brother had lost sight of who he was serving. It was not the workers, for they didn't feel the need to approach him with the news of his brother's safe return or the party. He had clearly not been a good leader in this space. It was not the younger brother. He did not even care to see him and check that he was okay. It was not even the father, for he would have seen that his father was worried throughout this whole time. And even if still frustrated by the brother and his actions, if he had had a good relationship with his father, he still would have probably found it in himself to be happy for him, to go inside for him, to celebrate for the father's sake. But he couldn't do it. Instead, he rebuked him in anger. Ultimately, the older brother's heart was for himself. Now, traditionally, when we look at this story, we focus on the younger brother. After all, the title is the prodigal son. It's easy to look at the younger brother and think, what a terrible son he was, so lost out in the world. And we miss that the older brother is just as lost at home, being an obedient servant. It's easy for us to recognize the actions of the younger brother as sinful, but honestly, now when I look at the older brother in this context, I see myself, and I don't like it. I'm a bit of an introvert, and I will admit that there are times, even here, when I will hide or busy myself with duties and getting things done or preparing or setting something up so that I don't have to have uncomfortable conversations with people that I don't know well. I'll admit it, I've done it. So reading this was a bit of a slap in the face. On top of that, my love language is words of affirmation. 
I like to be told that I'm doing a good job. And again, I was like, oh no, am I doing things for the right reasons? Or do I just want to be told, hey, you're doing a good job? And now there's, honestly, there is absolutely nothing wrong with serving or being appreciated or appreciating others. That is not the point that I'm trying to make. But I did have to have a bit of a look in the mirror and think, wow, you know, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why am I serving at church? It's a raw and bitter truth. It's one that most of us probably don't want to focus on. And so... That's why we kind of stop the story. We kind of stop digging into this story after the prodigal son comes home because we like that version. It was really obvious, but now he's home and he's saved. We don't want to look at the rest. We don't want to look at the older brother because we see ourselves. Well, I do anyway. We can be just as lost in the church, dutifully serving as we can be out in the world. If, like the older brother, our hearts are not for God... We are not interested in a good and healthy relationship with him and in loving and serving his sons and daughters Then, no matter how much we give of our time, money, energy and talents to dutifully serve, we are still lost. We have missed the point. Now, I don't believe that this is a fair representation of all of us all the time, but we would be lying to ourselves if we said that there was never a moment in our lives when we didn't feel frustrated angry or jealous, when we don't see um, others in the church not serving and we become, become frustrated by this, you know, why aren't they sacrificing the way that I am? Why aren't they giving of as much time as I am? And we might become angry when the church chooses to make changes or support avenues that don't support us, that might support someone else. We have been jealous about the attention that someone is receiving when they get praised for serving for the first time. Hello, I've been here for years. They just showed up. It's their first time. It happens. Hopefully not a lot. But it happens. These negative emotions, they, they come upon us. And we find ourselves questioning and even frustrated with God because of others and their actions if our hearts aren't right. Another classic example of this in the Bible is the story of Mary and Martha. They were both good friends of Jesus. He was staying in their home when he was in the area. So it says, Martha welcomed him into her home, and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted by much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. They were both dutiful sisters. They were disciples of Christ. She knew that if Jesus told Mary to serve, Mary would serve. And Jesus answered and he said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Sorry, the typo. And Mary has chosen that good part that will not be taken from her. Notice how he speaks to Martha. He is speaking gently here. He is not rebuking her loudly, but he is giving her that gentle reminder that her heart was after the wrong thing, that in that moment, she was missing the point. He still loved her, they were still friends. She's still a part of that group. But in that moment, he's like, you're missing the point. 
As I was preparing um, in the last about 72 hours um, to be up here, I got onto YouTube and I looked at a couple of other messages that um, people have presented on this topic. And I watched a video by Tim Keller and a quote that he said stuck out to me. And I'm going to share it. He says, you can escape God as much through morality and religion as you can escape God through immorality and irreligion. Remember, we cannot earn our way into heaven. That comes only through Jesus, by his love and his grace. Side note, did you know that grace was created by God for our benefit? Before there was sin, it was actually no need for grace. Yet once sin entered into the world, God knew that there was absolutely no way that we could make it to heaven on our own. So he created grace for our benefit and then Jesus delivered it. Also, it is what separates Christianity from any other religion in the world. In any other religion in the world, you have to do something or you have to earn your way to that better life, to that next rung, um, to whatever it is that the end goal is. You have to earn it. In Christianity, it says, well, you can't do that. You need grace, and that only comes through Jesus. It's what separates us, and it's pretty amazing. Grace is a big deal. It's probably one of the reasons that you fell in love with Jesus and became a Christian in the first place, because it was for me. Yet we can be so quick to forget and to become frustrated when we see it being gifted to others, others that we might think they don't actually deserve. Do they really like, should we forgive them that quickly? Do they deserve that clean slate just yet? Like, are they, are they really ready for it? We are the selfish, sinful older brother serving dutifully in the church or the community, wanting our recognition and our reward now. This is no way to live though, this is no way to serve. It leads to bitterness, bitterness that spreads and spoils our relationship with Christ and his people. And if we're not here to love and to serve people, we have missed the point. Jesus, when he was on this earth, he loved and he served the people. He did serve. I'm not saying that serving's not the right thing. He, he absolutely not. He served them. He met their needs. He did that first, but he did it because he had a heart for them and he wanted a way to actually reach them and to have them come and know him. He loved and he served the people. And when he instructed his disciples with the Great Commission, he told them to go and share with the people he did not say, go and build the biggest churches. He did not say, create the most entertaining programs, decorate the stages in the most eye-catching ways, put on the biggest breakfast. No, he said, go to the people. And now again, there is absolutely nothing wrong with serving in any of these ways. Honestly, these things are some of the things that make Refresh the most incredible church that it is. And I love serving here, but it is because the people behind these actions, these ministry areas, they have a heart for God and for people. You heard up here this morning why the young adult team runs what, the way it does. There is a heart behind it. They just 
don't want to have big events and lots of people and, you know, great Instagram accounts with heaps of likes on it. They're doing it for the people. They love God and they want His people to have a pathway to Him if they choose. That's why they're doing it. That's why the, um, our musicians get up here and it's, it's beautiful and it's honest and it's real when they praise Jesus, when they lead us to praise Jesus because they have a heart for Him. Before any of us serve at Refresh in the morning, we meet, we have a little word, we get our hearts right with God, we get them focused back on God, we pray to God so that we know that when we come back out here, our hearts are right with Him and that they're for the people, not ourselves. We need to make sure that we're serving for the right reasons. We need to make sure that our heart is for God. To make disciples, to build up the kingdom. You know that people are the purpose, are, they're our purpose, because they are the only thing that we can take to heaven when we go. They are the only thing we can take into eternity. You can't take anything else. You can't take your home, your bank status, your social Instagram account status. Nothing goes with you into eternity except for people. So if you did not know what your purpose was, it's people, now you know. Awesome. It looks different in different seasons, in different contexts. It looks like serving breakfast. It looks like worship. It looks like fixing someone's car if they've broken down on the side of the road or helping them with their finances if they have no idea what they're doing. The context is different. The way we serve is different, but it's always for the people because they are our purpose. They are the only thing we are taking to heaven. Different seasons, always people. So we need to make sure that our hearts are right with God so that our hearts are for his people. And we do this by checking in with him daily, by making sure daily that we're seeking him first before anything else, good or bad, God first. Get your heart right. Then we need to guard our hearts to make sure that we don't become the older brother in this parable, so blinded by our duties, so frustrated by the grace of God for his children that we forget to come to the table, to the celebration with God, that we forget why we are here and for whom we are here. We can't become too busy serving to see who we are serving. We have to have a heart for people. Don't become socially isolated. We feel like we've all done enough of that over the last two and a half years. Come and celebrate. I'll pray after these guys. If they want to come up and sing, I'll pray when you guys are finished. Thank you. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you Take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Going through a storm, but I won't go down. I hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to call me. Back. 